Hello, I'm Rebecca Weber. You're watching Better for America, presented by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now, joining me today is Joy Pullman. She is the executive editor of The Federalist, and The Federalist focuses on so much great content, including content on culture, politics, and religion. We're going to discuss the importance of family values and America's education system, so don't go anywhere. The Association of Mature American Citizens is the conservative voice for Americans 50 and older. AMAC is fighting for the values that you hold dear. Join today. Together, we can right the course of America. Joy, thank you so much for being with me today. I love having you on our show. Great to see you. Thank you for having me, Rebecca. Oh, it's just a delight. And I absolutely loved learning, Joy, that you're a mother to six children, uh, which is just fabulous. I think family mm -hmm. is truly one of the greatest gifts in life. And, and so the more children, the merrier. I'm a proud grandma of two beautiful little girls and another baby <laughs> on the way. Uh, it just life keeps getting better and better. But um, I'd love to talk about one of your children's books. Uh, it's a classic book for young children, or classic books for young children. Excuse me. Um, tell us a little bit about this, and uh, why. You know what what caused you to write these great books, and then where our listeners can access these books. Well, thank you for asking. You know, so as you mentioned, I am a mother of six young children, and my other, husband and I um, actually are on the board of a classical school that we started, K-12 school. So then I have been an education reporter for almost 20 years. So I really care very much about children, how they're brought up, how to make sure, you know, that they're developing well with, um, like you say, good ethics, morals, and a love for their country and a knowledge of what is true and a very broad understanding of world history and, and the riches of literature. So, you know, as a mom reading to my children, I, you know, thought that so many of the books that I would pull from, my kids would pull from library shelves are garbage, you know, and this was even happening before we have literal pornography showing up on the toddler shelves. It was just even, you know, when you, like I said, you know, uh, maybe uh, one out of every five or ten books, you know, really uh, of, that were on the shelves that we would pull out, I thought were really of value for my kids. There was a lot of junk and I'm not 100% against a little bit of candy corn here and there, you know, but that can't be your entire intellectual diet, right? So what I started to do was just keep a record of the books that I found that seemed to be more classic in quality and that really offered something of value to children when you're reading aloud to them. Because, as I'm sure your audience is aware, the number one way to develop a child, a child's mind as well as his soul is the, the, the uh, stories that he hears and that he believes. And so what you're feeding the child's soul coming through his ears and his eyes with the books that he reads and with the television that he's watching absolutely affects the kind of person that he will become. So to me as a mother, that's one extremely important to me. It's, just, it's even more important than the food that I feed them, you know, because the food that you feed them only matters to their body, but the mental, the intellectual, the spiritual food that comes through their eyes and ears affects their heart. 
So long story short, the, the list of classic books for children is just a list of, I think, you know, more than 120 of what I would call children's classics. Because a lot of us know, you know, we can find those great books lists for older children, the, you know, um, the Joe's Boys, the Little Women, you know, the um, Charles Dickens, all that sort of thing. But for the little ones who I'm reading aloud to, the three to seven year olds, there, you know, there's not as much available. So you can find that if you just search my name, Joy Pullman, that's like the Pullman train car with two N's. You go to my bio at The Federalist. There's a link to it there. Oh, this, this is really terrific. And I love what you said that uh, the stories that our young children hear and what they believe shapes them into the future. And so it's no wonder, I think, in today's society, our culture has re really seems to be targeting children. In other words, I think it's a very different world mm -hmm. today if you're growing up and you're five years old than it was 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. Uh, but that shift is so great. And I think mm -hmm. that you would certainly agree that this gender insanity uh, so impacts our little ones and their children because they're, they're being impacted during develop and, uh, development when their minds are still young and they can't quite understand or mm -hmm. grasp these concepts. Now on, on X, uh, formerly Twitter, your bio states that you are gender natural. And I thought that that was great, but it's so sad <laughs> that gender identity is even a topic of discussion. So as a grandmother myself, um, I'm worried and I know our listeners are too. Uh, in your view from where you sit, how much does the emphasis on gender, particularly in schools uh, now worry you and what should people be aware of? Oh, I'm right there with those majorities of Americans. I've read many polls showing you know, 70, 80 percent, you know, of people are concerned about that issue. In some polls, it's their top concern, you know, their public policy or their general society concern. Um, and so I, I have always been, uh, you know, on that track because, again, I also have young children, and it absolutely affects them what what people do. And and as I mentioned earlier, as an education reporter, you know, I've I've read a lot of research about child development. And it's absolutely true that, you know, little children, they're developing their understanding of the world as they grow. And, and they are very much, you know, they have oh, picture ears, right? Whatever they are told, they will believe. So that is something precious that their innocence needs to be guarded in order for them to develop a cohesive sense of self and a true accurate understanding of the world. And instead of treating, you know, that innocence and that wonder as if it is precious, our society honestly seems to be almost homicidal you know, evil towards children. They want to destroy uh, the very innocence and the quality that makes childhood itself. Um, so I'm, I'm very concerned about that, um, and I do write about that extensively. In fact, that's the subject of my next book. It'll be coming out from Regnery Press in April. It's called False Flag, and it's about um, how actually the gender ideology is uh, the undoing of the American Constitution and the way of life that it's built on. Because if people don't have solid families, they can't govern themselves. You know, someone who grows up in a broken home, that creates an inner sense of psychic chaos that affects the rest of their life. And if we want to have the constitutional republic or vest whatever amount of it we can keep that our founders gave us, we need to have people who have self-control, who restrain their passions, um, you know, who aren't, um, their inner lives are not chaotic and they're dependent on government. We need people who can stand up, you know, and, and uh, make and manage their own lives by themselves. And we do not get that from children who don't have 
have intact families. And that's really what I think the gender insanity is about. If you destroy people's connections to their primal bonds to their mother and their father, you completely make the populace dependent on government. Um, and so it, I do think, I think um, gender ideology is not just a social issue, it is an existential crisis for our nation. And that's why people, again, 80% or more of people are very concerned about it and they're right to be. Certainly. And, you know, we know that these things don't just happen overnight. It sort of slowly creeps in. This is why we do this show is so that we can bring light to truth uh, and, and, and uh, you know, help mm. people better understand what to pay attention to. Uh, folks are worried. AMAC members are concerned about our educational system. Uh, you've written another great book, uh, The Education Invasion, How Common Core Fights Parents for Control of American Kids. And this I find um, really interesting because we, you know, if, if you could please explain a little bit about Common Core. This is something that I, I can recall, certainly. And initially, uh, on its face, I thought, well, you know, we want all kids to succeed. We don't want to leave any kids behind. But explain how uh, Common Core is relatively new in the grand scheme of things uh, and why this particular book is important for people to get their hands on. I think that... Um, Common Core certainly uh, is not what a lot of parents and grandparents thought it was. If you could first start there, explain that and a little bit more about the book. So, I mean, Common Core, if folks remember, all the way back to 2013, 14, 15, um, is a basically a program put in by the Obama administration. The goal was really to create to nationalize public education using this mechanism of the Common Core, which sounded very simple and straightforward. And how could that ever be problematic? It's just a list in every single grade of what the government wanted kids to be learning in math and English. Um, you know, that sounds simple and straightforward, but the truth is there uh, what it I mean, the the things that, you know, were required of the children um, were brought into uh, brought into all of these schools um, and, uh, through basically extra constitutional means. You know, so from that simple allegedly idea, you know, uh, that the, from that simple idea of the government determining what children need to learn across every subject, I think that distracted people from the underlying problems with it. And um, so there were, there were many, many problems. One of them is that these, these were sold to states as being very high quality academically People who actually worked on them and were subject matter experts said that is absolutely not the case. And we had a you know preface of today's massive censorship culture by having those experts derailed, you know, uh, written called called fools. You know, people with credentials a mile long who had been working in education, you know, for all these years, they were treated like trash because they didn't agree with what the government wanted them to say. Um, despite having absolute expertise to do that. But another thing that I think is, uh, a second thing that I think is very big about what happened with Common Core is how it was brought into um, all of these states without the approval of almost any elected officials. So right now, you know, in 2024, our government operates, um, operates at a massive scale without any oversight from elected officials. You know, it's like we have all of these executive agencies on autopilot and they're really the ones running the country. And so that's how things happened in Common Core. But at the timing of that going through, I think was at a point when many, many more Americans believed, you know, that they actually did have a voice in their government and that their government should be listening to them. So it was a shock to people, you know, to see this new story that there could be a national takeover of an education system 
election with hardly any votes whatsoever by the people's representatives. Now that's a, that's a common standard thing, right? But then the idea of that was really appalling, you know, to people who were politically engaged at the time. And then I think the third thing about, I think Common Core is really, it, it kind of tipped me off to what became the, the Trump phenomenon because it, it did a number of things that kind of have been exploded since Donald Trump came down the escalator uh, in 2015, um, which include the people discovering that they, we don't actually run our own government and that the government actually fights the people over all kinds of things. Um, that was very much at play in Common Core. And the second one, uh, this, so because in Common Core, we saw all of these parents, grandparents going to their local school boards, to their state school boards, to their elected representatives saying, we don't like this. We don't want it. It is not high quality. Get it out of our schools. And they were completely stonewalled and ignored in almost every single case across the country. So it was a very big wake up moment of disillusionment that that historic understanding of American government, right? The man in the town hall with his hand over his heart speaking up and the government is of by and for the people like Abraham Lincoln you know said the common core whole political story was really a wake-up call that all of that was gone and it's you know it's a shock to people but what we've only seen more of that exact dynamic play out in the years since you know still leading us right up to this moment where we have literally the organs of government prosecuting you know the top, one of the top candidates for president and attempting to jail him for hundreds of years for process crimes and clearly government is influencing so many of these problems within the American educational system. Uh, from your view, and I know our listeners want to better understand how things can change, what level of government uh, really has the most influence over education? I mean, there's a lot that can be done at the state and local level, uh, not to mention at the federal level. So uh, how, how do we best attack this, Joy? Well, I am all for an all hands on deck, all systems go kind of approach. I think, you know, people should be both going to their local school boards and to their state representatives and to the federal government. But I mean, my, you know, and I don't mean that to just say, I mean, basically an all of the above approach, but I think that sure. probably the two most fruitful um, things to be doing to improve education would be uh, attempting to reassert control at the state, especially in the local levels. So I think that Governor Ron DeSantis has provided an excellent template for other states across the nation. He was elected, you know, his most recent, I believe, 20 point margin, you know, to the governorship in Florida. They're extremely popular governor. And he did that while governing as one of the most conservative governors in American, you know, recent American history. He is he is not afraid to assert control over the the thing that mo in most states a K-12 education is half of the state budget. So massive, massive mm -hmm. part of state governance. It's usually it's reserved to the states under the 10th Amendment of the Constitution, even though our federal government doesn't abide by that constitutional restriction anymore. Um, and in state constitutions, they that's usually where there's a right to education given to the children of the state through the state constitutions. So I, I do think that um, states really need to follow the example of Florida and being much more muscular and much more demanding of their public school system. And I frankly think there needs to be a lot of deregulation and a lot of cleaning house. So what that means is, you know, education basically acts as this cartel system by which the existing education blob keeps itself, preserves itself by gatekeeping who can come into its profession. You cannot become a teacher, you cannot become an education professional unless you pledge allegiance to wokeism in almost every 
every single state. But you know what? State usually those are controlled by state legislatures and governors. They can erase those teacher credentialing programs. They can clean house in their teacher education programs in their state colleges, and they do have the power to fight back against you know this Marxist sorts of ideas that are telling children that boys can be girls and that people are evil because of the skin color God gave them. There is the power. There are the tools available for that. The only thing that really is lacking is courage among you know the elected representatives to do what needs to be done and withstand the you know all the screaming and craziness that will come from a very tiny minority of people who are benefiting from the system being stacked against um, kids and families best interests yeah and we need those taxpayer dollars that are going to fund these public schools to follow the child oh, if yes. in fact parents do decide that they want an alternative choice i want to get to that in a moment i do think that uh, in 2024, this is going to really impact, this issue is going to uh, impact how people vote in 2024 as we lead up to the presidential election. Uh, and you've had great experience, you know, really covering politics as a political reporter. Um, so I, I imagine that you've, you've covered a lot on this, this particular topic and people yes. can find more of your great your great work at The Federalist. Um, so for parents who want an alternative and, and who say, you know what, I feel stuck uh, how can I provide a better alternative, better option for my child? That's a very daunting, mm -hmm. uh, I think, decision because parents naturally um, remember their own childhood education and often feel that they're jipping their child. And in fact, if they pull them out of public education, that they might not get have the same exposure to sports and what have you. But mm -hmm. I think that it's something that more and more parents will obviously look at the numbers, more and more parents are deciding to homeschool. What are some, uh, you know, guidance, helpful tips you've had to navigate this yourself with six beautiful children? Mm -hmm. uh, what options do people have, really have, and what can they do, what should they do um, to play a bigger role in their children's education? Well, I would say the number one thing that parents, and I, not just parents, but also grandparents, because I do think that grandparents have a responsibility, not only an obligation, but a great love for their grandchildren. And they and they absolutely have resources and, you know, they put themselves, um, you know, they drive their kids. You know, I know many grandparents, for example, driving their kids to and from school, to and from their activities, you know, fun, putting away money for their you know grandkids' college educations, all that sort of thing. Um, you know, so, but the number one thing I would say among both parents and grandparents is sacrifice. People, there's, I, I, our education is really so bad that there are very few easy outs. Um, there's not going to be, some, you know, there's, I wish that there were excellent public schools available for free to everyone or that we had 100% money follows the child system where we're not discriminating against Christians primarily, you know, by only funding education that fights Christianity and destroys children's religious values taught at the home. I absolutely wish we had that, but we don't have that situation right now. And so parents have, you know, have to understand that whatever you do, you're going to have to suffer. So the question is whether you want to choose the suffering of having your children growing up and adopting the values of an increasingly hostile and evil, frankly, culture, you know, uh, projected onto them in most public schools, or whether you, uh, and whether that's the sacrifice you basically are making your children, you know, sacrifice, but also you, 
um, you know, for them to turn into that kind of person to be body snatched away from you and your values, or you have to decide whether you're going to sacrifice by moving, um, by making financial decisions among your family, living in a smaller house, you know, whatever you need to do in order to homeschool your child, put them in a private Christian school, pay the tuition for your grandkids for a private Christian school, come to your church and say, look, how about a micro school? Um, you know, I think there's a lot of creativity that can come among the really, frankly, terrible K-12 circumstances that we're in. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, my husband and I, we did literally start a school for our children because we, <laughs> that was our plan A. Our plan A was, look, we know a lot about education. My husband has a, a master's degree from Hillsdale. You know, the part of that program is to develop people to be school headmasters. So he trained for that on purpose. Um, you know, and so we sacrificed in to do that because we said our children need a good education and they can't get it anywhere. We know what we want to do. Let's try to start a school. So, so far that's going great, but I will tell you a lot of personal sacrifice, a lot of late nights, a lot of working 80 hour weeks, a lot of giving up a lot of our income. Um, but you know what? Our children are thriving and not only are our children thriving, so are, you know, a m many, many dozens of other people's children because of the sacrifices we've made. That's not for everyone. You know, maybe for your family, you would need to move to a different state where the you know neighborhood public schools are are not hostile to your children there are a few of those left you know but one of the one of my favorite ideas that i really think needs to be considered more is that churches and community organizations need to come together around families and support their ability to provide a better education for their kids churches should be starting schools grandparents aunts and uncles you know people who who have the ability should be helping families send their kids to schools that meet the needs of the children and don't turn them into to, you know the invasion of the body snatchers from woke hell <laughs> you know so i oh, think yeah. people need to be pooling their resources and being willing to sacrifice and come together and think about creative out-of-the-box options that get those kids educated because at this point honestly any decent person can do it better than many public schools and and you know so that means that the possibilities are wide open and joy can folks tap into this um school that you and your husband have have really put together in other words are you have you opened this up uh, to others who who can tap into those online resources? Oh, you know, that's a great question for you know what is better developed. I mean, so my husband, honestly, he has he has people touring our school probably two, three times a month just that just reach out to them because the appetite for this is huge. We have a, it's a very small, yes. it's a it's a small school, but we have people coming to check it out to, you know, replicate the model two, three times a month, you know, you know, for uh, since it's been begun, I think we're seven years old now. But, you know, more developed and able to handle those inquiries actually is my alma mater, Hillsdale College. They have a K-12 schools program. You can just search Hillsdale K-12 schools and they have free teacher training free summer conferences they've written all of your school board documents for you if you want to apply to become a public charter school so that you can operate and be tuition free for people um, you know they have all you know, advice for about how to how to structure that how to make your application to your government so you can just search that and Hillsdale has all the resources they're generous, generously provided by their donors so it's a wonderful program great set of resources there that I would recommend Oh, Joy Pullman, this is terrific. We so appreciate you joining us uh, here today. And, you know, I love that you're sending us off with such a wonderful and hopeful message. People can make a difference. Uh, people, you know, there are options. Uh, and our children, they are the most precious. We need to look after them. We need to protect this nation uh, and be certain that we have a free nation to hand on in generations to come. So thank you again for being here, for your great perspectives. 
uh, and for putting together really a, a winning formula uh, for your children and for other Americans to emulate. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I will tell you, there will be nothing that will restore your faith and, you know, you give you more hope about the future of this country than visiting a classical school or, you know, a good Christian school where the children are doing well. Just to be, you know, when I bring my kids, you know, violin and their cello in for their orchestra, I hear them singing hymns in Latin that were written in the fourth century. There is nothing more beautiful than an eight-year-old child who has that memorized for the rest of his life until the day he dies, he has something beautiful hidden in his heart. Um, and so that is, even though my work is very dark that is what gives me hope every day and I just I you know everyone who is able to have that you have such a blessing in your life oh well thank you and God bless you and I hope to have you back with us again soon thank it you it was a joy to have you with us okay does social engineering from leftist corporations make you feel like we're living in the twilight zone? If so, you're not alone. And that's why we're proud to stand behind a wireless company who stands behind your values. I'm talking about Pure Talk, an AMAC-supported wireless company on the nation's largest 5G at half the cost of the big three. So I challenge you to stand with a company who champions your values. Those of you who have always had your neighbors back, you've pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps and you still believe that the flag stands for freedom. It's time to join the masses who have fled their old wireless companies for something better, Pure Talk. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network for half the price of the other guys, with unlimited plans starting at just $20 a month, the average family saves almost $1,000 a year. And as an exclusive AMAC partner, Pure Talk will give you three years free on your AMAC subscription. Just dial 844-8-PURE-TALK and mention AMAC Podcast to make the switch. That's 844-8-PURE-TALK and make sure to mention AMAC Podcast to get three years free on your AMAC subscription.